Hello, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast, and I want to thank you for joining me. You can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. This podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. So this episode is sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. So take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. So folks, today, what I'd like to bring to you is part two of a series that I did. Um, I did a presentation out in New Mexico on September 30th of this year, 2021. And um, in this presentation, it was titled Addiction Prevention and Treatment, and I did it for the New Mexico chapter of the FBI National Academy Associates. And so it was a four-hour presentation. I'm breaking it down into segments so you guys can more easily digest it. And, you know, I want to title this, this section is Powerlessness and Unmanageability. We're going to talk about that. That's the first step of a 12-step program. And I'm also going to be talking about how we all want to fix our back problem. That is that we have people on our back and we want to get them off of our back. So that would fix our, our back problem. Um, we're also going to touch on the subject of how disease addiction is a disease of the body and the brain and how addiction is isolation and recovery is community. And those are going to be the broad topics. And I know you're going to get a lot out of this. This is uh, important concepts if you are in the early stages of recovery or just in recovery in general. But I know you're going to get a lot out of it. And let me go ahead and play this recording for you. And um, I'll talk to you here in a little bit. So step one of AA, or any of the program, NA and all the rest of them, Step one is I'm powerless over alcohol. My life has become unmanageable. That's step one. You have to recognize it. Become, I'm powerless over alcohol, and my life has become unmanageable. So powerlessness, unmanageability. By the time you get to the point where you're in the program, we get, the, we get unmanageability. Your life's a shit show. But by, by the time I'm talking to you, you, you need to have been talking to me a long time ago. And you're only talking to me, let's be honest, because your wife has left you, your husband's left you, your partner's left you, your job's on your back, maybe you've lost your job, maybe you have legal issues, all those different things. That's the only reason why you're talking to me, because you've, you've developed a back problem. you got a lot of people on your back, and you're trying to get them off your back. You want to fix your back problem. And you want me to help you fix your back problem, and as soon as you fix your back problem, or you think that you do, you did, then I'm never going to see you again. Now, it's the powerlessness part. So I can talk to a cop, and the cop will get the unmanageability, but the cop will not get the powerlessness part, right? Because we talked about this earlier. Is everybody in your profession a type A personality? I don't know where you work. They are. You're the weakling if you're type A. You're more like a type AA or AAA. And the problem is, where I work, everybody's smart. They're all wicked smart and type AAA, but... Because of the powerlessness part, and I come into you and I say, the first thing you have to do is surrender. Well, that's not in your vocabulary, is it? Right? Is it a good thing to be confident? Is it a good thing? Maybe even cocky? Are there times when that's appropriate and you should be that way? What if you're on patrol in the city in the middle of the night, like being a DC cop? We always patrolled alone. Do I need to have confidence on the street? Do I, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I get out of the car and I'm in the middle of D.C. in the middle of the night, do I need to let that person know that I'm confident in what I'm doing? Is that a good thing? 
Is that a necessary thing? Weakness on the street can cost you your life, can it? What about if you're a pilot flying over the Atlantic? Military pilot. And the fire tea light comes on. So you have an engine on fire, you're over the Atlantic. What if you had a pilot that was like, oh my God, we're gonna die! What would you be thinking? You're thinking it's probably an Air Force pilot. <laughs> but you'd be somebody like me, a Navy pilot, you would say, hey, relax, folks. You're lucky. I'm a naval aviator. If I was an Air Force pilot, you'd be screwed. We'd be in the water right now. But we're gonna be, we'll be on that ship. Don't you worry, because don't you know, I am a naval aviator. This is your lucky day. Do we want that kind of confidence? That I can handle any, how about if you're an army or marine infantry officer going into combat, do you want confidence? Do you want an infantry officer that thinks, I pity whoever we're going against today because I'm a warrior and I'm gonna destroy everything in my past. Do you want that if you're leading an infantry platoon? Yeah. Problem is, what if you're an addict? Do you want that attitude? Do you? No. Because you're not gonna, I don't care how much willpower you have. I don't care how strong you are. Addiction is a disease of the body and the brain. So those of you that say it's bullshit, it's not a disease. We'll talk about what Webster's definition that is. It's a disease of the body and the brain. It is the only disease that you have that tells you you don't have it. You're not going to beat it. You're not going to. It will own you. And those of you that are struggling right now, or you know somebody that's struggling right now, you know that to be a fact. You know that to be a fact, don't you? Because maybe you've heard this. You know, if you loved me, you wouldn't drink. Have you heard that? Or do you, do you, have you told that to somebody? If you love me, you wouldn't drink or drug or whatever your, your, your thing is. Um, if you love the kids, you used to be a good police officer. Maybe you don't love your job anymore. If you loved your job, if you worked harder, maybe you wouldn't drink or drug. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe if you worked out more, you wouldn't do that. Maybe if you went to church more, you wouldn't do that. You've heard all those things, right? But what do all those things have in common? Tell me, what do they have in common? What's the underlying premise in each one of those arguments? What is it? Willpower, what's that? Replacement, but how about this? Moral, it, it, it says that really what's going on with you is it's a moral issue. If you're a better father, if you're a better employee, if you went to church more often, if you worked out more often, right? And you, right? So it's a moral thing. That's the moral model of addiction, meaning you're a bad person. So you can see how that ties into the stigma of it. You know why you drink or drug because you're a bad person. Is that true though? Is that true? At the height of my drinking, I loved my wife. I loved my kids. I was going to church. I thought I was working hard, but I was still drinking. And I never understood that. I never, ever understood how it was that I felt like I was a good person, but I was still drinking. And, and here's the answer, because it had nothing to do with it. Let's put it this way. They talk about addiction. They talk about my addiction to alcohol as having an allergy the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous actually says that, that what you suffer from is an allergy to alcohol. Now, you might say that's bullshit. Well, hold on. What is, and I'm putting it at you because I know that you've heard this before. This is a test. 
What does Webster's D Dictionary say about an allergy? What is an allergy? You can't go on your phone, that's cheating. That's an honor violation. How about this? An allergy is, you'll remember this, a body, your body's having an abnormal reaction to a substance. You remember that? Okay, so me drinking myself into oblivion night after night into the hospital, into blackout, would that be an abnormal reaction? Is that normal? No, it's an abnormal reaction to be so obsessive about a substance that's obviously killing you, even you know it's killing you, but yet you partake of it anyway. That, my friends, is the classic Webster's Dictionary version of, or definition of what an allergy is. I mean, after all, in Virginia, we, you know, things start to bloom, in the spring, things start to bloom, and we get, uh, uh, you know, my allergies act up, and I'm sneezing and snotting, I got stuff coming out of every orifice of my body. And imagine, if you will, if, if somebody came up to me and said, hey, you, you know all that sneezing and snotting you're doing? You, you know what it is? You don't, you don't go to church enough. If you went to church more often, you would stop sneezing and snorting like that. And you would look at them and go, huh? Or, you know what it is? You're sneezing because you don't love your wife enough. And you would go, huh? Or you don't work out enough. Huh? What does that have to do with it? And the answer is, has nothing to do with it. What it is, is you need to remove the substance so your body doesn't have an abnormal reaction to it. Does that make sense? Do you see the correlation between the two? You do not have a normal reaction to alcohol. Now, we'll get into some of the science behind that, and it is scientifically explained, but it wasn't until I went to Ashley, myself in treatment, where I'm working right now is where I was a patient, which is kind of a weird thing. I'm on, you know, they would have you locked up, now they give me the key to the place. I don't, it, it's kind of a weird thing, but, but it, it's also good too, because I can see, you know, it's, it's, the nice thing about working in a treatment facility is I get to see where I was and where I will go back to if, if, I'm, not, if I'm not careful. But to answer your question, the, is it difficult to work with police officers and these people? Yes, because people like you, people like me, are conditioned for all the right reasons to be confident and believe there is nothing that you put in my path that I cannot overcome. Nothing that I can't overcome. And that's a great tra uh, trait for the job. And I think one of the mistakes, and you, you're over at the academy, right? I've always felt always felt that one of the big mistakes that we make in our training for our young people coming into this profession is we don't have this discussion that we're having today. That's always been a mistake. I absolutely, we, we train to fight, we train to shoot, we train to do arrest warrants, all these different things. But the one thing that we don't talk about is the one thing that, that more of your officers are gonna die from. Most of your officers are not gonna die, die from fights on the street or being shot. Most of them will die from addiction issues or killing themselves. More officers are at risk of harming themselves than the public harming them. Have you ever thought about that? And we don't even talk about it. Because we have been trained to believe that it's a sign of weakness. But it's not. You have no control over it. Just like you have no control over, over the allergies. And the way that I heard it explained to me one time was it's like this. Um, you get into the ring with Mike Tyson. What would happen, by the way, even... My man's been training again. Have you seen him? Have you seen him lately? Interestingly, he's in recovery too. You may not know that. If I were to get into, now I, I know you guys may be looking at me and you may be thinking he's clearly a professional fighter and professional athlete. That's probably what you're thinking. No, it's not what you're thinking. So if I were to get into the ring with Mike, Mike Tyson, what would happen? I would get the shit kicked out of me, right? Anybody, I know a few of you doubt that, but no. 
But I get into the ring and he just beats the crap out of me. And you're like, damn, dude. Mike Tyson just beat the crap out of you. And I say to you, yeah, but don't worry. I, I, I know it. It's my diet. They've been feeding me cookies and donuts and steaks here, you know, the last few days. If I clean up my diet, I can take Mike Tyson. So I clean up my diet, I get in the ring, and what's going to happen? It's going to beat the living crap out of me again, right? And you go, damn, dude. <laughs> you know what it is? I never have slept well. I, 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 if I got proper sleep and recovery, I could take Mike Tyson. It happens again. It's my training. If I just trained, if I had more time to train. And then imagine, if you will, you come up to me and say, hey, Mike, I, how about this? Why don't we try this on for size? Maybe you don't get in the ring with Mike Tyson. Because if you don't get in the ring with Mike Tyson, then Mike Tyson doesn't beat your ass. How about that? Does that sound like a better plan? So recovery is kind of the same way. To me, alcohol is Mike Tyson. So what do we do? I just don't get in the ring with him. You understand, it is not the hundredth drink that's going to kill me. It's the first drink that's going to kill me. Does that make sense to you? See, you people are what we call normal people, and I'm anything but normal. I have a drink, and it, says, it triggers off a progression a progression of my addiction that I actually have no control over. The only thing I have control is, over is whether I put it in my system or not. Big Book of Alcoholic, Alcoholics Anonymous talks about the obsession of drinking. Normally wired people don't have an obsession to drink. You know that? And there's a genetic predisposition, which we'll talk about. Normal people don't have that. But if you have the genetic predisposition that I have, it's the first drink that starts that chain of events. And then it, it's just more and more and more. And the, and the question is, how much more is good enough? And the answer is always, more is better. And a lot more is a lot better, and so on and so forth. And you drink until you die. Because I, through no fault of my own, don't have an off switch. But you have to recognize that. So getting people in this profession to understand that it is not your willpower, it doesn't make you weak. It's just an awareness. I have no control if I, have, if I get cancer or diabetes or, you know, the, but there's things that you can do to prevent that or there's things that you can do to put that in, re, in remission. And that's all it is. So if I have cancer and I go get that uh, uh, taken care of, is there always the possibility that my cancer can come back? Sure, we, we, it's called putting it in remission. Well, it's the same way with addiction. We put it in remission, but by putting it in remission is you, you just don't use, ever, period, under any circumstances, ever. You don't, because that starts that chain. And the, and the, but that's a simple concept. You understand the entire program of AA is designed to keep you from starting drinking. There's a misnomer out there that AA gets you to stop drinking. It does not. Treatment gets you to stop drinking. AA prevents you from starting drinking. Does that make sense? That's what it is. Because the 12 steps is a spiritual, it's a program of spiritual development. It's a realization that there's a power greater than you that you're going to tap into and you're going to rely upon to get through life. It's our resentments. It's our hurts. It's the, the things that bother us, those, those angers that we have. That's what causes you to go out and start drinking again, and for us to drink, it is death.
I've never been to an AA meeting where somebody has relapsed and come back and they said, you know why I relapsed? My life is so goddamn good. I'm so happy. There's rainbows everywhere. The sky is clear. And there's unicorns. And my life is so good, I think I'm going to drink myself to death. I've never had that conversation with anyone. It is always, my wife left me. My wife's a bitch. My boss sucks. I hate my coworkers. I hate my agency. I've been isolated. The government told me I can't talk to other human beings for a year. There's a lot of that going on now. I'm so lonely. I just had to escape. That's what people say. And then it starts it all over again. But addiction gets worse over a period of time. This is weird. Listen to me closely on this. Addiction progresses, your addiction progresses whether you use or not. Listen to what I'm saying with that. It's a weird thing that science hasn't even explained yet. You're not going to find any studies on this, but we know that it's true just from observing people. It gets worse over a period of time, never better, never ever better. What that means is over a period of time of sobriety. So if I were to go relapse today and drink, I would relapse where I would have been over that period of time, not where I left off. Does that make sense? Now, not immediately, and that's always what lures people in. They'll go, well, you know, I had one glass. You know, Mike, that's bullshit. I uh, had a glass of wine, and I didn't, I didn't go, go to the wall. Didn't happen. And then I went another week, and, I, and that didn't happen. And, and, and then what happens is you get lured in, and then all of a sudden it hits you. You hear those stories all the time. And then when you relapse, you will have been where you, or you will relapse where you would have been, not where you were. Now, for alcohol, when you look at the, the if you were to graph it out and look at the, the, uh, uh, the development, it, alcohol progression is usually done over decades, right? It's done over decades. There's a certain trajectory to it. But if you get into the opiates in particular, heroin um, and all the other uh, opiate derivatives, that, that trajectory is like this. So what, what a, a relapse and a progression rate that alcohol might take 10 years Heroin will take you several weeks. And that's why people, when they, when you guys deal with these folks on the street, right? They're heroin addicts. They don't use for a period of time. Three weeks later, they use, and you go pick up their dead body, right? That's what happens, because that's the progression. The opiate-based drugs, are, it's a much steeper curve than, than for alcohol. Alcoholics may make it back. It's a, it's a shit show. It's, it's, it's never a good story. Heroin addicts, we almost never see back. We just go pick up their dead bodies. That's the way it is. But that's because they relapse where they would have been after that period of abstinence, not where they were. Okay? But to get people like you and military people to understand these basic concepts is very, very difficult because of the conditioning. And so that's like the mission that I'm on is to change that conditioning that really absent, being absent from alcohol, me not using alcohol is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. But this is the only time where your strength is demonstrated through submission. This is the only battle that you win by surrendering to. I today no longer battle alcohol. I'm at peace with alcohol. As long as you're fighting it, you're risking the chance of relapse. Because when you're fighting it, we call that white knuckling it. You're just hanging on for dear life. You're just hanging on. But we'll take one bad event in your life and it will come. It's called life, folks. People die. Bad things happen. You're, you can want to change the world. You can want to change that boss. You can want to change your agency. You're not going to. I got news for you. 
I got news for you. These organizations that you work for, as good as they may be, and as much of that brotherhood they keep telling you, the family that, that's there, I got news for you guys. Two weeks after you retire, nobody's going to remember who you are. They're not. They're not going to remember who you are. They do not care. It doesn't make them bad people. It just makes them people. It just makes them organizations. It's the way that it is. And, it, and it's not that they need to change. The world has never changed. Go into chapter 1 of the Bible. The world's never changed. You know the first homicide? You got your first homicide case right there in chapter 1 of the Bible. You ever thought about that? Brothers fighting, people arguing, affairs, people cheating on people. Right there. Right there. Hasn't changed. Still happens today. We didn't invent this stuff. We're just living through it. It's not going to change. What we work on is how I react to that bad boss, to that situation, that suicide in the family, which I've experienced this year. All those different things, they're going to happen. But I don't change them or that. I change me and how I react. And if we can get people in this profession to understand that and embrace that, they do well. But there aren't people like us sitting down with cops to get them to understand that. And, uh, you know, we did what we could. I did something interesting when I was at the academy, and you may remember this. Uh, I know you did because we talked about it the other day. Uh, I made all the students at the NA go to a 12-step meeting, right? What did you think of that? Well, and that's an interesting point. And it's interesting that you say that. It is, it's not the people that we typically deal with, right? But I intentionally took you guys to that meeting because I wanted you to see that it's not what you think. That those were very professional people, right? And, and I wanted that because that's actually more typical than the other way around. Now, I, I mentioned earlier, when I get people like yourself in treatment, I, I will talk to them about police stuff. I will direct them to, because there are police-only meetings, if you guys are interested in any of that, they're out there. They're, they're usually very, very double secret type. You have to know people to know people to get in. Um, and people will not go to meetings. I, a lot of cops, I can't get them to go to their first meeting unless it's that, right? But I'm not a big fan of that. I'll be honest with you. I'm really not. Because recovery is not about us. The one thing that Bill Wilson did in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the first 164 pages are the program. Everything after that are stories. And Bill Wilson would talk about Homeless people, uh, American Indians, uh, homosexual people, white people, black people, everything. Rich, poor, everybody. And he did that on purpose because what he wanted to do was demonstrate how addiction is an equal opportunity destroyer. And likewise, recovery is uh, equal opportunity. By the way, AA meetings were integrating men and women and people of color long before the rest of the nation was. It actually started there. Addiction is an equal opportunity destroyer. And I know, coming into this, I know what the stereotypes are, so I wanted, I wanted you guys to see that there's very successful. There was a lot of powerful people at the meeting that you went to, a lot of powerful people, and I wanted you guys to see that. And, I want, and when I work with police officers, I get them comfortable working with other first responders and military and then get them to branch out. I actually rarely go to first responder-only meetings. I actually go to inner-city meetings. I go to meetings in the community, the people that you're talking about, because that's where it's at. You know, and they need to see, and, I, and, and those people need to see. See, at this point in my recovery, it's not so much that I need to go to meetings daily, and I go on most days. It's not necessarily that I need it. It's that they need to see you. People need to see you getting well. They need to see, hey, it's not just homeless people. It's not just that. There's people with jobs. There's people with power. There's people that are successful. 
we're all in this together, and we can get well, and we can, we can teach one another, because that's what it is. Addiction is isolation, recovery is community. And they need to see the community. And I'll tell you, folks, this last year, year and a half has been devastating to the recovery community. I've seen more relapses and more suicides in this last year than I have in like the previous 20 years, uh, 25 years, they've been in, in law enforcement. This has been a horrible year, and people need to see you, right? And so it was good for, for you guys to go and, and check that out. Now, um, if you have the right person and the right message and you need to have those people in your agency to help, there should be somebody in your agency that they can go and talk to. And what my goal in the class was for that to be you in your agency, right? Because would you not, in your own agency right now, would you be more inclined to step in and intercede and help somebody and more equipped with how to point them in the right direction? And you've been able to, so you can, so you're better equipped. And I, and I really, again, I think it's a shame that we don't have all of the police executives in the country thinking this way. It, there's still stigma that's there. That's why I think in the beginning, when the, you got to get the young recruits when they're coming in and get them into that mindset. I can tell you in all the training, in all the, all the training I've had my entire career, we never had this discussion. Never. I didn't know basic things like alcohol withdrawal was dangerous. You know, you can die. It's very dangerous to withdraw alcohol. I didn't know that when I was a patrol officer. Didn't know that. We put people in the drunk tank and they're hallucinating and we thought it was funny. We didn't know that we were actually putting their, their lives at risk. I didn't know that. I should have been taught that at the academy, but nobody ever taught us that. So interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that. Did that answer your question? I think it did. Any, any other questions about this so far, what we're talking about? So let's talk about the, um, at least get started on the, the journey. And, and in my story, you're going to see a lot of the things that I was talking about with the progression of addiction, and we're going to talk about genetic predisposition, predisposition and all those things. My story is kind of classic. You know, every addict thinks they're unique. Nobody else goes through what they go through. But the fact is, you're not unique. So that's the second part of the recording that I made on September 30th of 2021 out there at the New Mexico chapter of the FBI National Academy Associates. So I want to thank those guys for having me out there. And I know this information is going to be useful to you guys. And, you know, I, I'm going to bring you the other parts of this presentation because there is so much to digest. It was a four-hour presentation and a lot of very important topics to talk about. And I also want to thank our friends at FHE Health because this episode has been sponsored by FHE Health. And according to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty. So find out more at FHEHealth.com. And as I'd like to say, I don't represent any group. I do know that I talk about 12-step programs. I talk about AA, but I don't represent those groups at all. Those groups are not represented by anyone I'm just talking about my experience, and I don't represent anyone other than myself. My only purpose in giving this information is to share with you what I've done because it has helped me, and maybe it will help you too. So if I've said anything that doesn't apply to you or you don't agree with, then just discard it. But try to take any information that you can use for yourself and help others as well. That's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way. And we help to impart the knowledge that we've gained to others as well. So with that, please visit our Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and our website, VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. Let me know how I'm doing and let me know if there's a topic that you're interested in hearing about, because I'd love to hear from you. And you guys take care, and I'll see you next time.